Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for a Wrestling Mind Podcast. Enjoy the show. Well, I was a fanatic. There's no doubt a fanatic. My goal was to get carried out of the wrestling room because of exhaustion, and it never happened. The thing it did for me every day about 6 o'clock is that when I got out, I looked back in, and there was nobody else there. Bottom line was I didn't reach my goal. So guess what happened? I went back in the room again. But I got some quality time because of just some kind of a fanatic goal. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of a Wrestling Mind podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. Now, today's guest is Coach Valentin Kalika. Coach Kalika coached the U.S. Olympic team in 2016. He was also the personal coach of Aaron Pico, a world champ, a multiple-time world medalist, and one of the most elite high school wrestlers we've ever had. Maybe the best high school wrestler we've ever had. Who knows? Uh, Coach Kalika personally coached Pico for years, and then most recently has been coaching Hel Marulos, who maybe you've heard of her, two-time world champ, Olympic champ in 2016. And so this guy really knows his stuff and has a whole system of mental performance and wrestling and in a, just a never-ending quest for learning. So Valentin is a really fascinating guy, and we also dive into what it was like to grow up in the Soviet Union and why some of those Russians are so darn good, both mentally and physically. Now, before we take you to the podcast, you know what time it is, folks. It's fan of the week time, and this one goes out to my good friend Ethan Ball. Ethan was a great wrestler and is now a coach over at Coke College. Ethan, thank you for the support, my man. Go Cohawks. Now, folks, sit back, turn up those headphones, fasten the seatbelt, and enjoy as we go into this interview in New York City with Coach Valentin Kalika. Valentin, how are you? I'm good. Well, thanks for taking some time for us today. You've uh, really dedicated your life to the sport of wrestling, and there's a lot of ground we can cover here. I think what's most fascinating to me to get things started is you grew up in Ukraine in the old Soviet Union, uh, started wrestling at the age of 11. I'd love for you just to take us back. What was it like growing up and wrestling in that Soviet Union uh, regime? I was good. <laughs> <laughs> After school, I, I would go to practice. I mean, after school, I would go eat home. We, we actually ate. There's people saying we were starving when we ate food. <laughs> and then I would go to practice like a little child. <laughs> so it was good, fun. And what do, you, what do you think it is about the Soviet Union or the old Soviet Union or even now in Ossetia or Dagestan? What is it about those regions that just produces these world-class athletes like what's what's so unique about that place versus like how the americans train uh it's um first of all dagestan you know if you talk about dagestan you know, it's a culture it's number one sport you know it's like ask why americans so good in basketball or american football <laughs> pretty much it's it's you know that's what they do that's what they love the most that's okay. why it's, it's number one. And number two, uh, they have a good support because it's a number one sport, of course. And they have a lot of professional coaches versus uh, in America, it's a lot of kids club is a volunteer coach, which is not professional. 
Yeah. So the coaches and then the support of it. Um, and I think you mentioned one time you went over there with Helen Maroulis and within just a few days, she was one of the most popular people in town. Is that, is that right? Yeah, because, uh, you know, every wrestler coming from other countries, especially like, you know, Russia, America, or that Soviet Union, it always was a big deal. And obviously, best wrestlers and coaches would welcome, and uh, they would fight for us. We were going first to his house or <laughs> other house. <laughs> so we always fought for that. It's, it's been always like that. And, uh, uh, hospitality kind of uh, tradition of hospitality well it's interesting that the russian girls don't even train down in the caucuses like with romanov or or some of those elite elite athletes so that was a pretty cool experience yeah it's just uh in the beginning they uh, kind of gave me respect to them my friends i was begging for them to bring girls they would not let many russians to train there because it's not it's not traditional for them. It's a Muslim country, especially Dagestan. It's an Orthodox Muslim country, like Iran. Girls supposed to be a wife, no nothing else. And um, so, but given kind of me because I'm I'm a friend, but now I'm not <laughs> Soviet anymore. I'm American guy, and uh, they just and I was begging them. They gave me respect and uh, welcomed me with the girls, but then. Girls happen to be really good. <laughs> they like them a lot. Helen became Olympic champion, and for them, it's actually it's a big deal now. They ask me every time when Helen would come with me. So, No kidding? So now they're asking you to come over, huh? Yeah, yeah, now they're asking. <laughs> well, and that's, um, you know, kind of sticking on that region of, of – you know, Setia, Dagestan, uh, I know it's, it's real close to Georgia. Um, obviously, there's the physical, you know, they have the physical um, standards in place, uh, the, the technique, the, uh, the, the workouts, the conditioning, the lifting. But I'd love to hear your opinion on how do they think about mindset training and getting ready for big moments? Do they do any type of mindset training or anything along those lines? Not really. <laughs> That's... <I don't> <laughs> It's heartbreaking for Americans to hear that because growing up, you just thought that they were doing something very unique, but I guess it's just, to your point, good coaches and then good support for the program over there. Yeah, I think so. I think that uh, American mindset toughest in the world, actually. It's my opinion, but uh, the technique-wise, we can learn a lot of Russian. Like, and I, I learn everything from Russian. I still learn it from them. And Georgian, of course, and was the best guys in the world, but uh, technique-wise, they are more professional. But uh, our, our guys mentally much tougher. Mindset, all the stuff, conditioning, I think we are best in the world. Really? All world actually learning from us. Wow. <laughs> so that, yeah. yeah. Wow. That's, that's good to hear. And I know yeah, those, uh, there's a number of camps now that are really sophisticated with the training uh, the training lab down in Southern California I know is where Aaron and some of the MMA fighters go and that seems really sophisticated in terms of how they're breaking out the workouts and the diet so I think it's come a long way across both wrestling and MMA um, and then so so you grew up in the in the Soviet system um, ultimately moved to Israel 
and then to uh, California in 1994, and then became you know one of the most legendary coaches in the United States, uh, coaching you know Aaron Pico, Pella Marulis, uh, Elena, as well as a, a few others. Um, you know what what jumps out to me is when people start working with you, they just get a lot better right away. I mean, what do you think you uh, you cover that some coaches are are maybe missing out on you know outside of the technique? No, it's uh, it just trust. I I fixing stuff that I see should be fixed. Um, most of the time, I'm not try to fix the move itself. I try to fix the wrestling, the whole wrestling. You know, not the moves, but whole wrestling. How you. How you walking on the mat? How you move? How you put pressure? How you doing tie-ups? How you control tie-ups? That that is uh, to me is most important, more important than uh, to fix the throw. It's like uh, it's like if you watch soccer, the score could be three zero or three whatever. You know, soccer is like what? It's not like it's not many, it's not like a basketball, right? It's like three one, two one, one one, mm-hmm. and so how long it will take uh, actually to score? The you know hope keeper the missed the ball, and so he's one zero. So it's like a one hit, one second, and you see the ball in the gate. And um, but the the match going ninety minutes, so. What people enjoy, the one heat or 90 minutes. So when they prepare for this, you know, the final score, goal, whatever it calls, it takes years to prepare how you control the ball, how you control the center, who is in the defense, who is in the fence. Same in wrestling, take down, going during like with a flash. Sometimes the scrambles could be like 15 seconds. There's no scrambles, could be take down to three leg races so you can score eight points in uh, 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. So what do, you, what do you do next? I mean, what do you do uh, five minutes, 40 seconds? You know, you wrestle. You're not scoring, but you wrestle. And uh, and people just, in my opinion, learn how to score, but they don't learn what you do those five minutes, 40 seconds. <laughs> Which is wrestle, to control it, to set it up, to... So everybody, again, learning how to execute the move, but nobody learning how to actually wrestle. And that's, so that's, what I, that's what I try to change with my students, and then they buy it, and going 100% with me, wrestling starts changing. And it seems like a system of, of total belief, and I know you only work with a few wrestlers at a time, but uh, for those of the listeners who don't know, could you just describe – you know, your relationship with your athletes? Because it seems very intimate and, and very unique compared to, to maybe how some coaches go about it. Yeah, it, it just, I, I don't think I create some unique system. It just was um, my true story about my immigration. And uh, I never had a coaching job, but I could not live without coaching. So I've been coaching in California for 20 years. But so I, uh, I pretty much was known as a, Probably good coach, but not one of us, not collegiate coach. He pretty much have no clue what he's saying. 
that's my story. That's my story, actually. And, and, and then uh, very few people would believe what I'm saying. And all of a sudden, they would do better. And it was like on and off and on and off. And then, uh, you know, and then Aaron, 20 years later, I mean, for 20 years, I was preaching, actually saying nothing else. But uh, Aaron kind of started to perform and everybody paid attention to what Aaron did. And then all of a sudden, everybody started listening to my story. <laughs> <laughs> well, you would think... Uh... You would think, and I became, and I became famous. <laughs> <laughs> well, you would think just your background and growing up, uh, growing up in the in the Soviet system, um, and wasn't your uncle an Olympic medalist? Um, in, yeah, my uncle actually was here as first Olympic champion in uh, Ukrainian history. I think freestyle that's, wrestling. That's amazing. And then, did you grow up with Bela Glazovs and uh, in Kiev? Or yeah, they, yeah, we, we, we're training in the same room. Actually, really. I mean, he was a. I was a Greco guy. They were freestyle guys. But uh, in sports university, we studied Greco freestyle. It's not like I was a freestyle coach. I mean, freestyle coach or wrestler. But uh, I understand mechanic, biomechanic, and uh, I know how to coach. And the rest, what you do with the technique, you study. And if you stop to study, you gotta retire. I study every day. I study today. I study today in the morning. <laughs> it's practice really? and I'm going yeah every day if, I, if you if you stop then you don't you're not the coach anymore so how do you you start how do you so what, that's a great I was going to ask this anyway um, and by the way Sergey when Nancy Schultz brings him to the US in May he's going to come on the podcast I'm excited for that I, I worked with mm -hmm. him at a Sunkiss kids camp uh, in the early 2000s um, but and, and so I'd love to, to dive into just some of your your takeaways on on Sergey, but um, going back to your what you just said about how you're learning and you're studying, like how does someone with your skill set and your experience, like what are you studying? Are you studying diet, nutrition, technique? Like what is that? What no, is that no, like? uh, I mean uh, diet. Uh, diet, I study of course, because it's sort of things new and new and new, you know, with the science. But I, I again, I was a, I mean, I'm a professional coach. I have master's degree, so. In Soviet back then, in sports university, uh, we study everything about diet, about uh, you know physiology, sports physiology, biomechanic, biochemistry. Uh, we we study it, and uh, so I know the stuff. We just I I mean I have a good basic basic skills, and uh, but you have to study all your life. Anything you do in your life, it's not only about coaching, about anything. If you're a programmer and you knew how to program in 1970, you probably and you didn't study, so you probably will not have a clue what you're doing now. Right. Right. You, right. you have to be every day with the same investment, wasn't changing, and you study. So most of the time, I watch YouTube, I watch matches, um, and then uh, I do slow motion, I break it down, I, I see the, you know, I see how they wrestle, how they get in, how they get in out, how they finishing shots and all the stuff because every time it's something new and new and new and lessons changing rules changing so rules changing lessons changing you absolutely can't, you can't do the same you know as soon as rules change something's gonna come up new <laughs> you know so you gotta you gotta study and when you study uh, you actually your brain processing it and then you 
have a better idea what you do, you might come up with something new because you learn what people coming up new and then you say, oh, what if I do this? Nobody done it, what if I do that? And it works and it's exciting. You know, this way, if I love what I do, but if you don't do that, it's just, it's just a job. You know, like people saying, how, how you love your job? And, and that's what I love in America. And they saying, that's okay, it's a job. And I could see them happy. <laughs> so, but for you, so it's a craft, I, though. It seems like a craft. Yeah, for, for, for me, it's, it's my life. I've been, again, in California, I've been doing something else to survive. And I was coaching because that's what I love to do for free for 20 years. And now I'm a lucky person because I, I you know, live my life. And I'm getting money for that. Right. <laughs> it's cool. It's cool. It's cool. <laughs> it's like... When you're out at the, uh, the regional training center in New York now at Columbia, and we'll get into that. But for a lot of us listening, um, you know, for better or for worse, we came to know you through Aaron Pico. So if you could just describe how you first met Aaron and, and kind of some of the work you guys have done. Uh, she was, um, she's bad approach to me after if I can help him with the Greco. He was a young kid. and uh, How old was he? So I, um, I don't remember, but he was like 85 pounds kid. Okay. Uh, sixth grade. Sixth grade. That's what he was. Five or sixth grade. And uh, he was a tough kid. He was telling me he won some tournament in Oklahoma, you know, the kids tournaments every year, some nationals. But uh, honestly, I never cared about this tournament. So, but he was a tough kid. And um, so he came a couple practices and they asked me to help, uh, to help him and see more kids go to Ukraine for concretion tournaments. You know, concretion is like part of MMA tournaments. Mm-hmm. And so I... Uh, I took him and a few more kids to Ukraine because I'm from Ukraine. And when we came back, you know, we became friends with his dad and Aaron. So his dad started talking about coaching him like on a daily basis. And I was in a stage when I actually pretty much stopped coaching. I didn't want to coach anymore because my son graduated and um, I just, I did not feel because uh, every time I would coach somebody, they would just, you know, go the system. You know, you got to go college, you got to go to school, you got to. And I wanted to just raise somebody who would be Olympic champion, and I felt like it's not going to happen anymore. And uh, so I, I didn't want to coach anymore. And then uh, because I always wanted to coach big, something big. I don't want to talk about some state and I just want to, you know, big. And so they begged me and I said, no, I'm done. But then, then I said, you know what? I don't care if you want to win state tournament. So you don't need really me because you're going to win anyway. You're tough. <laughs> you know, you, you don't need a coach. I mean, like me. But if you want to win Olympics and if you're serious about, let's do that. And so we shook hands, and that was the deal, you know, in exchange of uh, being with me for the Olympics, I started coaching him. And we went that far, but then uh, 
Oh, you probably know the story. He did. Uh, yeah, yeah. He did not. He did not stay with us because uh, money is money. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to discuss this part. <laughs> I mean, I still believe he could be Olympic champion in 2020 because that was the plan. It's just amazing to me looking back that he had that kind of drive and resolve at such a young age. Like, obviously, there's a lot of things that make him unique, um, as well as Helen Marulis. So I want to ask you a question about Helen before we wrap up here. Um, but like, what do you think gave him the drive and motivation at such a young age and to stick through it all the way through high school? And then now I know he's training with Bellator, but like, what was it about him? that was it just his drive or his discipline or it's just hard to quantify that. Yeah. He has a, he has, he has a crazy drive, like a crazy drive. That's why I felt he, he, he's a kid who can make it big. And so we, we train every day, but again, he's, he has a crazy drive to win, like a crazy drive to win. And then when you took him over to Osetia, were those guys just blown away, or was he right in line with where like a normal kid? No, that? I took him to Osetia when he was already cadet world champion. Uh, okay. I mean, okay. yeah, we. I started taking him. First, I took him to Ukraine, uh, 2012, when just trained with Ukrainian Olympic team, and he was really kid. He was a kid back then. And after that, he started to understand the difference between um, folk style and real freestyle. And he started training with some world players and world champions in Ukraine. And he saw them for real. And because they're my friends, so they kind of uh, welcomed them, welcomed him and uh, coached him and wrestled him. So he started feeling the difference. Okay. And, and that was. And then, and then later, when he won world, and, you know, we got on the Andy Bars wing to the title Mercury and uh, Andy told me that he behind us and we can go anywhere we need to go to 2020. And so that's how I start to develop Aaron because I believed and I, that's what I tried to prove in the US that we should have development program for the kids for cadets like Aaron. And actually pretty soon as I start doing that, uh, Finally, USA Wrestling started doing it. They uh, invite Schneider to Colorado. So they, they started to do development program pretty much almost at the same time. I mean, I was pushing for that. I'm not saying it's me, but it's probably, you know, like everybody started to realize that's what we need. Yeah, and for, and for the non-wrestling listeners, what we're talking about is the Americans wrestle a style of wrestling that no one else in the world practices. And so they don't start transitioning to the international style of wrestling seriously until after college. Or they may wrestle yeah. in high school, but it's not their predominant focus. Yeah. And then when they get to international, they're way behind. So what Aaron did was he skipped uh, his sophomore through senior year of high school wrestling and then forego college wrestling to train full-time uh, international. And so you and him would travel the world and his, really his day in life was revolved around making the uh, yeah. world Olympic teams. Yeah, so that was my kind of dream to do, but not only with Aaron, with Aaron, I just wanted to show how it would work, but my plan was to have development team and have, um, actually to develop the system where I would have some teachers, you know, who would travel with us and I would have a sponsors who would sponsor it. Yep. So the kids would take school online and, uh, doing homework and study and um, kind of homeschool and be able to travel, have like a development team. I think, I think that 
we don't know yet exactly, but I saw Japanese they did before Olympics. I saw a group of Japanese, mm-hmm. and then I saw them uh, winning Olympic gold or silver. Well, it's very popular in soccer, too. The soccer development programs, I know they call it football, but in Europe, those programs are really focused at a young age, bringing those kids in, living in those academies. Yeah, that that was kind of my dream to do. And um, it almost happened, but then, um, you know, I didn't choose a different way to go. And then Colorado and Schneider were successful. And uh, so we have kind of, Kind of what I wanted, not exactly, but something. But I would, I would still think we should have at least five, six development program in the US with group of talented kids, freestyle and Greco and girls. Special Greco needed because Greco need the help. So they need Greco, to develop yeah. from. Greco's in a in, in a tough spot right now, uh, and I think the uh, rules uh, don't do them yeah, justice uh, either. But go ahead. But we, we so 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 we need kind of this type of system, and I know it's hard. It's a lot of, a lot of probably obstacles with that. But it just, it just is a system that uh, lead to the goal. And we change it actually. Look what happened last year with Cadet and Junior team. We dominate now in the world. Dominate, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it, that's and I and I hope it was part of me a little bit to show with Aaron, and so. Uh, you see, like you saying, I became popular, but uh, Aaron's story, so people kind of, and again, it's not only me but or Aaron, but I think that it also was big that people would see, oh, maybe my son should be the same, <laughs> and some did. <laughs> yeah. And how would you design so, it if you could? Like, if you, let's say these are, you have 20 kids who are going to skip high school, who are elite, elite high school kids. Obviously, this program isn't for everyone. It's kind of of hard, but it should be very disciplined. Like, uh, it should be school, but it's like a kind of a homeschool and kids. We have have in Soviet this type of school. It was called Olympic school. And I used to coach there. So kids would go train in the morning, and then they – Go to school, but it's in the same in the premises of the. They would live there. It's like a yeah boarding it's school. Like, it's uh, yeah, it's a boarding. It was a, a boarding school, Olympic school. It's a boarding school when we actually had the best kids in Ukraine back then. We would do like a Ukrainian national tournament, and we would invite from you know kids from the the winners or players from this tournament. We invite to this boarding school, and some kids would move. The key, which is capable of Ukraine, to our school. You know, we had like 30 kids and um, different grades. And they would train twice a day, and we would have a budget to compete in the best tournaments. And so they trained twice a day in the premises of the school. And uh, when we traveled, we had a teacher. I mean, that's similar. And it was successful. So and so you were the way, coach of that back in. I didn't realize yeah, that. Okay. So they have that, and yeah. they have something similar to that. Okay, so you know exactly the blueprint. You're just trying to get it, you know, it's yeah, tough. So that's what I try to do in U.S., but, you know, U.S. is not Soviet Union. Soviet Union is everything was controlled by government, and government could do that. Here you have to find a way how to do it. You got to find the sponsors, believers, and just find a way how to do it. But that's how I see we can develop the sport. And, again, that we, we try to do this, something like in, similar in Colorado. That's what we're trying to do. Actually, we have a, a coach, Easy, 
he's uh, now principal of the school. He was a coach, and now he's a principal. He's my friend. He's also he's from Russia. But What's now he has some. Coach Izzy? Izzy is Boynikov. Okay. Vlad is Boynikov. Yeah, so he has similar for the, he creates kind of similar situations for the uh, kids, not only from wrestling, but I think hockey, you know, whoever they're in Colorado. So they're able to train and go to his school. But something like that. It was mm-hmm. always, uh, it was always like that in the Soviet and then um, uh, Germany, East Germany was very popular. Probably China. So not only wrestling, but like swimming and, you know, a lot of sports. Now, would the kids have a choice about going back in the Soviet days or were they made to go? I think there's a misconception around that. No, 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 they, they, they have a choice. It, it's, it, honestly, it's not true what you hear that they right. had to go. It, it was a choice. I wanted to, I dream to go. Sure. To, yeah, I actually wanted to go play soccer, but <laughs> I wasn't successful. But then uh, I Here. went to boxing then i went to wrestling and i love wrestling you know we had the choices and we did not have to pay (laughs) so it's not true and what do you think um what do you think is the ideal type of weight and conditioning workouts for wrestlers outside of so if you have the two practices a day you have the technique and wrestling in the afternoon and then the morning um, maybe you're doing some weights and conditioning like what's the ideal type of um fitness program for a wrestler outside of the actual technique of wrestling is it kettlebells well, is it running what is it uh it's um because there's a lot of debate say. on this topic you know there's like heavy lifting then there's i'm a big fan of the kettlebell um there's you know there's swimming i'm just curious if you have any opinions I, I, on I, 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 I mean kettlebell is good i like it uh, i even like more to bring the kettlebell to the beach, mm-hmm. but it's hard. They are heavy to bring to the beach, <laughs> so I just, I just, I just find rocks. So rocks is good as a kettlebell. So just, you know, throw rocks and you run with the rocks and it's a big size of different sizes of and shape of rocks. So it's a lot of exercises and uh, using kind of running in the sand, which is not easy and rocks and uh, I don't know using bungee uh, using trees to do pull ups a lot of things I, I, I like to do because I live in California so I like to do outdoor conditioning but uh, a lot of people got different systems and so I, I don't want to argue with everybody I just feel what I do but uh, like uh, Helen would do what I say. Helen would find some cool uh, conditioning coach with a big name and do so. And it worked either way with Helen or with Aaron. I mean, Aaron would do what I said and then he would go to conditioning coach and work for him. So I did not really. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, yeah, I think that's I mean, a good in, Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I think my opinion that and it's different again in Colorado or you go in a university, you have some conditioning coach. Uh, and I don't even know who they are, but uh, my opinion that wrestling coach is supposed to know conditioning and run conditioning practice as well. 
That's my opinion, but I don't see it, so I'm not fighting it. Yeah. When those bungees, I, <laughs> I love those. Uh, I saw there's a, vi a, a video of you on the beach just getting after it with the bungee cords, um, and you can do a lot with those. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's I, I, so I'm simple. doing it. I, I'm, I'm doing it since I was 10, and the funny part, my dad actually told me to do that because he, his grandpa did it, but now it's in America, it's very innovative. <laughs> but I think, <laughs> I think, I think it's uh, this exercise since the bungee exists, I don't know, 100 years old, 200 years old, exercise, whatever. Whatever, whatever you hear word resistance, it means it's exercise, and you can use it. Yep. <laughs> so, well, you're, a, so, you're an absolute so, uh, savage to be out there throwing yeah. rocks around on the beach. <laughs> yeah, it's all, about, it's all about creativity, right? You have, a, you have a bungee, you have a tree, so you can pull bungee in a tree. You have a branches, you can do pull-ups. You have a sand, you can run sprints. Uh, you have a rocks, you can <laughs> use rocks. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Um, and then I want yeah, to transition but, to, to Helen just before we wrap this up. So um, obviously, Helen Maroulis, legendary American wrestler, 2015 world champ, 2016 Olympic gold medalist, beating, uh, um, beating Yoshido. Yoshida. In the, uh, I think it was the finals of the semis who had previously won that weight every year. Uh, what's the biggest difference between coaching Aaron compared to Helen? Like not so much the technique, but like the just like how different they are to coach. How different? Yeah, like what's the biggest I, difference between Aaron and Helen? Yeah, are they? They're both crazy and dedicated. Uh, I think Helen, um, Helen would uh, strike with no thinking, if I say so. Just, uh, you know, like, she, she would not have a second thought if I say to do something. Just do it. Mm -hmm. and, um, and it's like, believed, and, you know, she, she just stick with uh, my idea and said, like, coach, whatever you say. Nothing else. We, we don't have argument. Just go for it. With Aaron... I don't know, it's California, had a lot of advisors around. <laughs> you know, and so, and that's what happened when he became a little bit older, uh, thinking about my opinion again. I don't know, I don't know, it's public. Yeah. Thinking about contract, thinking about money, when Helen, Helen did not think about all the stuff, she just wanted to win gold, Olympic gold. And in Aaron's head, it was too many things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I believe. And that's what, that's what happened. Well, and there's a story about uh, when you were going to Ossetia, which yeah, it can be a dangerous place. Um, and Helen was, was going with you and got off the plane, changed out of her USA clothes and put on, um, I guess, Russian-type clothes so she would blend in. And then you, yeah, yeah. you realized... To me, that, yeah, not a true I tell this story... Yeah, when people ask me about Helen, I always tell this story because to me, people don't understand. I mean, it sounds like a funny story. And it's What's a funny the story? story. Can you I, tell the story for the audience? Yeah, so I just want the audience to understand exactly the story because people just think it's cool. 
but what happened, it, it, it was really, to me, it was not really dangerous because, uh, you know, I grew up in this system, so I know Russia, I know Ossetia. It wasn't dangerous. But Helen is different. She did not grow up there, right? So when we were traveling there, we were on a plan. We were actually getting on the plan. Bruce Burnett called me. He was back uh, USA national coach. He called me, and because USA team flew, uh, not only me and Aaron and Helen and Elena, but all USA team, like 15 people, including Jay Carbert, actually. Mm-hmm. He kind of knows. Uh, but uh, everybody flew from different airports, so everybody got this call, do not fly, because that was a, a suicide attack on a Chechen president. Chechen is the next door city. And so they decided that we're not going there to compete. It was a tournament, Kadyrov in Chechnya, Kadyrov wrestling tournament. And Kadyrov, he's the president of Chechnya. And I was arguing because I said, I said it's not Chechnya, it's different. But anyway, USLS said we cannot go. So we came back home. But uh, for me, it was so important to bring Aaron and the girls because this was first trip ever when I said and agreed to take girls. And I was upset with that. So I said, USA Wrestling, that um, I'm going to location and and I go with my crew to location. And I said, well, if it's location, nothing we can do. <laughs> so the team did not go, but Helen and uh, Irena Tereshko and Aaron and Victoria Anthony, they decided to go. I mean, I, I told them, let's go. And uh, somebody obviously told Helen and, uh, that I'm crazy and uh, she's going to die. No, I'm, and again, it's maybe it's funny, but it's not funny for her when, you know, yeah. somebody, yeah. somebody serious saying that and it was, you know, it was on the news, it was on the news that, you know, it was suicide attack, but again, you know, we she have thought suicide there was a attack. Real yeah, we have suicide attacks in New York, but people travel to New York, you know, sure. so it, it's, it's life. But it was not that dangerous, in my opinion. So Helen was crying and calling me, Coach, are you sure we're going? I said, yes. And she said, I heard it's dangerous. Are we going to survive? I said, look, Helen, you think I would take uh, you and Aaron, you like my kids, would they take you to die or to dangerous place? And she said, okay, I'm going. But then when she came, I did not realize how serious this was for her. She pretty much came um, to Moscow when we flew to Moscow. When we landed in Moscow, I said, you have to catch next plan, go to Ossetia. But Moscow, you know, it's like a big city. It's not, you don't feel anything. And so in Moscow, she changed clothes. She went to a toilet. And then coming back, and I see Helen wear different clothes. She hide everything in USA. And I said, Helen, what's going on? And she started crying, saying, but it's, you know, it's dangerous. And I said, no, 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 Helen, you just, you just 
put it back and be proud who you are and we will be fine. So she did it and in this moment, I mean, then we went, you know, with USA course, we went to Osetia and the next two hours after warm and welcome, she said, you know what, I want to stay here for longer than two weeks. I love those people. It was, it was good. But, uh, so she did not feel the danger right away. But what happened, what, what my point is, she was going with me because I said to go and she was ready to die to become better. That's what I saw in Helen. She's like really believed she could die. She was crying, praying, but she said, I'm going because I want to be better. I want to win. I want to go. So to me, it's like I said, it's might be part of one side of the story kind of funny, but other side of the story, if you look through Helen, she was ready to die. You know, and that's wow. good for me. That's the kind of commitment she had to be in a life of Yeah, that, that, that's my point. That's what I'm saying. Not many people catch in this part. You know, <laughs> they feel it's funny, but it's not. She, she, that's how she was committed. Oof, my God. I, I get chills listening to that story. And I know I said that to the listeners every podcast, but these stories we hear on this, on this podcast are exciting. And that was one of them where you hear that and you're like, I think you even said that's when she became your hero because she was willing to die to, uh, to win the Olympics. Yeah, no, she, she, she didn't want to die, but she was, she was ready to <laughs> sacrifice uh, and to to become better, you know? Wow. That's, a, that's an amazing story. Um, and I, I know we're over time here, Coach. So just two rapid-fire questions, and we'll let you go. First rapid-fire question is, uh, what are a few of your favorite books that you read to stay motivated or to read up on health and nutrition? Favorite books? Say it again. It's a two books or one book because uh, you said nutrition and other book to become motivated. Uh, it can, yeah, it can be one book or it can be a couple. Just a couple that come to mind that you really you really love and have influenced your life. Honestly, I'm not thinking too much about nutrition. I eat healthy all my life, and <laughs> I'm not really. Yeah, I don't know. I always think all my students, if you choose to be a professional athlete, you gotta just watch what you eat. Yeah. All your life. All your life. Not only when you compete. All your life. I I watch what I eat all my life. Because uh as a coach I gotta you know, I gotta be kind of in a good shape as a coach. And to show athletes that's what you do. Yep. Yep. So, okay. So, Fair and, enough. And, and, and I feel good when I when I feed. <laughs> I just feel good. So uh yeah, I watch diet, and uh, I mean, I eat right. I mean, I want to describe everybody knows. I'm not eating a lot of candies or whatever. Just, you know, eat right, everybody knows, and then it's a lot of assistance, but with uh, some, uh, I don't know, um, vitamins and minerals, but I don't really, I just eat naturally, try to get everything from food. And what about what about outside of diet and nutrition? Any other uh, favorite books that you like to go back the, to? Or? Books, you know, yeah. I um, I don't have a favorite book. I I just uh, have more time because I'm flying away sea, so ten hours, twelve hours flight. So I start reading the books I always wanted to read, like Dostoevsky, um, Tolstoy. You know, like those famous Russian old classical books. Yep. About uh, about uh, 
being a person, strong person, you know, personality book. I, uh, for my third people to hear, I actually like to listen a lot of good interviews from Karelin. And, uh, you know, wrestler Karelin. Of course, of course, yeah. Yeah, so Karelin, he's, uh, it's really, he's a really smart guy. He looks like he's not, but he's one of the, I admire Karelin, and he's, I, I would not be surprised if he was the next president of Russia. He's so really? smart. And he, yeah, and he's a congressman. And he has a huge respect in Congress. Huge and respect. Then- isn't Satiev, isn't he in the politics as well over there? Where VC is Satiev? He is as well. He's as well. I mean, Satiev, great guy, great charisma. Uh, but I really like to hear Karelin. And Karelin, he's very, yeah, Karelin, he loves books. He loves, like, Russian and classical books. He loves to talk about being a, you know, like, uh, maybe now it's not, right to say because everything changing in this world but like 30 years ago 40 years ago he preaching how to be a man yeah <laughs> you, know, you know now maybe it's not politically correct to say <laughs> but i think there's you know a lot I mean. to be said for that though there's a lot to be said for um you know having confidence having discipline and then you know, obviously being yeah yeah but but you know we we have now helen marulli so it's not i mean she's right. also a strong person but 30, 40 years ago, you would say, you know, now maybe you should say something different, but he teach, not teach, but, you know, his stories and his examples from the books, from his life, how to be a man, you know, how to be a man of the world, how to be a, a man of, um, I don't know, taking care of the people who are around you, how to be loyal to the people who's around you, who help you. And the way he's saying that, it's, I mean, he's the greatest example of my life. Really? really. Wow. Yeah. Did you ever, did you know him or is he in a different camp? I, I know him. I know him. But not, like I said, he's older and he talks because people ask more questions. I mean, I knew him as a wrestler when he was young, but now... He's older, and so people ask about not only wrestling, but about life. And I love his interviews about life. Are any of them and in I'll English? Do it. No. <laughs> Damn it! I know. I was I was trying to find. Uh, you know, I I don't know if Satyev speaks good English either. I know Sergey Belaglazov, no. but yeah, no, yeah, Belaglazov, great technician. Yeah. <laughs> but I like to hear Karelin as a not only as a wrestler. Yeah, but as a as a human, I, as a man, and as a person. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a person I admire. Okay. Um, well, you know, last... and uh, I to tell you more. I mean, please. Just uh, just the way. I mean, actually, both Fatih and Karelin, how they taking care of their coaches. And their coach is still, you know, still active and still have their wrestling rooms, but how they still admire those coaches and make them huge in Russia. Huge. They have their academies and their biggest supporters. It's, that's, that's how, how loyal they are, how they're loyal they are, you know, just, it's amazing. And Karelin actually in Congress, uh, 
he told Putin and they put on YouTube and actually Putin listened to him well. He said that coaches deserve same what teachers deserve. They have a, they have an insurance retirement because coaches make an impact in our life. And that's what he said in Congress, in Russian Congress. And nobody said anything in the US about coaches. We right. have, we have a, we have a PE teachers and me as a coach, I don't, as a coach, I don't have any insurance. Medical insurance. As a coach, I don't have any retirement. Me. So if I'm not coaching tomorrow, I might sleep in the street. Right. And so, so Karelin actually said that coaches change our life and they deserve, you know, better. And uh, Putin said, I completely agree. Coaches should be equal to the teachers. They so, should have same bonuses. So Putin listens to Karelin. A lot. Wow. That's, a, that's super interesting. Wow. Um, I think just to, to wrap things up, Coach, you run a clinic in the summer where you take uh, high school and youth age kids over to Georgia. I think you're going to uh, Tbilisi. I can never pronounce it, but Tbilisi. Uh, yeah, Tbilisi. So could you, I, I know this is a great opportunity. I wish it was around when I was in high school. Could you just talk about the camp you're running? And then uh, I'll leave in the show notes how people can get in touch if they want to sign up. But could you just speak to that camp you're running? Then we'll let you go. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, what I do, I bring a group of kids to Georgia. And they're going to train with uh, local Georgian kids. Georgian kids are very tough. It's actually a population of one and a half million people. And in, in last world championship, they had a two world champs and wow. uh, two silver, whatever. And then like in Shigashvili, one Olympic gold. And in Olympics, Petriashvili, heavyweight, he was a silver bronze medalist. Now he won world. So a uh, Georgian team, very strong team. And Georgian tradition is a big tradition lesson. Actually, Satim and Yerigin coach, he's from Georgia, Mindashvili. He's a Georgian guy too. So um, I love Georgia, I love Georgian people, and that was my dream to take kids to Georgia. I used to take to Ukraine, but now I want to take to Georgia. And uh, so they would train with, uh, again, with the Georgian national team and the Georgian cadet team, and they would train by Kinchigashvili, Petrashvili, Omi, Omi, Khaled Maru. It's not like every day, but some training with Kinchigashvili. So it's a crazy opportunity. And, you know, it's a good camp. It just, uh, the problem is, I, for some reason, I moved to New Jersey, and I don't know local coaches, so uh, send kids overseas. It's not many parents can do that. They have to have a trust, but not many people personally know me in New Jersey. So I don't have too many people who kind of uh, sign up. I need more to make it happen. That's we will really find <laughs> We will find you kids. Trust me. I, I know a lot, of, uh, a lot of wrestlers in the Chicago area, and there's some really elite clubs in the Chicago area. Um, I can guarantee yeah, you. If you yeah, if you could help me because it's, it's really almost getting, getting like emergency because uh, it's a time to buy tickets. How many you know, kids do you take, Coach? Well, I was thinking about 15, 20, but I have only uh, right now seven and three of them parents. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay we can i think we can do something about that i really do um there is a yeah strong network here and uh 
lot of a uh, lot of resources to support wrestling in the Chicagoland area. So I'll uh, um, we'll, we'll connect offline, but I I have no doubt we can we can get you twenty uh, twenty kids to to go over there. That that's not even that many uh, for such a great opportunity. So and that that's what I saw. It's, for some reason, it's just not well, everybody. I don't know. It's, hard to say just, well we gotta yeah. we gotta get the word out coach we gotta get the word out to the people um it's not you know i don't think a lot of people would know about it so um uh, yeah yeah and like i said the, those type of camps it's more on a personal connection than from the just advertisement because you know advertisement you could go to some local camps but when you're sending your kid for two weeks overseas you gotta know this person yeah you send him with for sure, so for sure. Um, but and like, but doesn't Helen go with you? And don't some of the elite U.S. senior women go with you as well to that? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Helen going with me. Okay, okay, cool. Well, uh, we'll include. Uh, so, so listeners, we'll include a link to sign up for that camp in the show notes here. And then Valentine, you and I can connect offline, and we can. Um, I have a couple of people here in the Chicago area I think would be interested in something like that. It would be um, great because if I hit more than about 10, I start booking flights and then it would be easier for me to add flight uh, tickets one by one, but I have to block kind of at least 10, 12 people committed. Otherwise, if you go with the four kids, it's not even, you can't even do dual meets with Georgia, you know, so it's not fun and take them. It's not worth it. Right, right. Okay, cool. Well, let, let's connect offline on that coach. We'll, we'll get something happening there. Um, I really appreciate your time today. I know we've gone way over. Uh, I could I could talk to you for days on end about this stuff. So I really appreciate you carving out some time, especially with Helen coming back and starting training with you today. So um, any last words or comments for the listeners, Coach? Well, uh, wrestling is very tough sport. Very tough sport. So if you don't love it, don't even touch it. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's, and... Uh, me, I'm a happy person because I love what I do and I enjoy every day, even sometimes it hurts. It hurts my feeling, it hurts my body. <laughs> it's, and, but again, I wake up and I'm just happy because I do what I love to do and I achieve some results and uh, now people recognize me and it's, it's a great feeling. Amen. Well, it, it comes through and how you work with your athletes and um, I'm looking forward to... Uh, to the to the world this year and then you know 2020 will be here before we know it so a lot of good stuff on the horizon coach thanks again thank you take care and all great things must come to an end that's the end of this episode but it's not the end of the season or the show thank you for listening everybody if you want to support the podcast please go to itunes give us a rating and subscribe and also check out a wrestlingmind.com for blogs and archived shows. Have a great day.